The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. This year's Democratic Party nominee for Congressman Kennedy's 4th District seat got onto the November ballot by winning around 22% of the vote in a crowded nine-way primary race. It came down to just over 1% of the vote deciding the difference between Jake Auchincloss and second place finisher Jesse Mermel. We saw a similar story in the third district last time around when Lori Trahan eked past Dan Coe in a very crowded field. This year's ballot includes a chance for Massachusetts voters to weigh in on whether they want to shake up the way elections like those are decided. Question two on the November ballot, if approved by voters, would institute ranked choice voting in Massachusetts. Under the proposed system, voters would rank the candidates for an office in order of their preference, instead of just filling in the bubble by one candidate's name. Now, if no one gets a majority, the candidate with the fewest votes would be eliminated and their votes would be reassigned to each voter's second choice preference. And that process would be repeated until one candidate emerges with a majority. Now, we've been seeing TV ads, reading about it, and there are a lot of arguments out there for and against. So for this week's takeout, we will hear from two guests on opposite sides of the issue. From the Yes on Two campaign, we have policy director Greg Dennis, and in opposition to ranked choice voting, former Maine Congressman Bruce Poliquin, who lost his 2018 campaign in the state's first ranked choice election, despite earning more first place votes and subsequently filed suit challenging the system. Reporter Chris Lisinski has written on this issue for the news service, and he joins us to moderate today's discussion. And uh, Chris and and, uh, Greg and uh, Congressman, thank you for joining us. Um, Chris Lisinski, uh, one of the stories that you've written for us on this was headlined, Voting Reform Framed as Simple Fix or confusing thicket. And I think that speaks to uh, the way a lot of voters out there might be feeling right now as they hear both arguments coming at them for and against. And uh, they really paint two sort of different pictures of ranked choice voting. So hopefully we can walk away from today's Statehouse takeout with, uh, with some clarity. Um, uh, thanks very much. And, and Chris Lisinski, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks very much, Sam. Uh- Guests, thank you very much for joining us. I'm also hoping we can get a a great, fruitful discussion that will help our listener and help voters in Massachusetts get a handle on what exactly it is that they're considering on the November 3rd ballot. I think the easiest way for us to start is let's give each of you about a a minute or two each just to introduce yourselves, your relation to ranked choice voting, and what your central argument for or against the the change is, which, as we've noted, would be a pretty massive overhaul to how we conduct elections in Massachusetts. It's Greg, we can start with you if you want to just give us a quick uh, quick overview of what you're doing on the campaign and what kind of case you're trying to make to voters. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, I doubt there's anyone listening to this who would say we have a healthy and well-functioning political system in the country today. The truth is we have a system that promotes division, not consensus. 
It's a system that lets candidates win without a majority of the vote. Uh, it's a system that shuts out diverse and independent voices. And it's a system which many of us don't vote our hopes, but our fears. And ranked choice voting question two on the ballot, it's not gonna solve every problem with politics today, but it's one simple, easy and fair step we can take right now to help make things better. So as you explained, you know, in most elections today, you can only pick a candidate. Under ranked choice voting, you can still choose one as you would today, but you have the added option of backup choices, a second choice, a third choice, and so on, as many as or as few as you like. And if your first choice can't win, your vote counts instantly towards your backup instead. And that means, you know, you're never pressured to vote for the lesser of two evils, and the candidate that wins ultimately has a majority of support. Great, Greg, very nice and concise. Thanks for that. Congressman, tell us a little bit about uh, your own experiences with ranked choice voting. Obviously, this is something that had affected you personally in your, your 2018 re-election campaign. And why did you think in 2020 that Massachusetts voters should look to that experience in Maine with, uh, with some trepidation? Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to participate, Chris. Um, <clears throat> for about 200 years up here in Maine, uh, we've always had a very simple, straightforward, very clear way to vote that encouraged everybody to vote is that you one person, each person gets one vote, not multiple votes on a ballot, but each person gets one vote. And the person who gets the most votes on Election Day wins. It's very simple. It's not partisan at all. Ed Muskie, who was a Democrat and a leader in the country from Maine, uh, he was elected under this system, one person, one vote, Margaret Jay Smith, a, a just a legendary hero among folks in Maine, um, was a Republican. She won this way. So did Olympia Snow and Susan Collins and on and on down the list. So this ranked voting process is a very uh, confusing uh, process that was introduced in Maine by out-of-state folks. It's not a Maine idea. Uh, and they were able to pour tons of money in the state uh, and uh, over the last few years to convince a minority, very small amount, number rather of registered voters, uh, to convince them this is a better way to vote, and it's not. Um, I remember, and just listening to Greg a moment ago, when this campaign was going on up in Maine trying to convince a very small minority in a special lesson to adopt this, we were promised three things, and Greg mentioned a couple. Number one, it would get um, a division out of politics, meaning the campaigns would be more civil, completely false. In my election in 2018, it was one of the nastiest elections in Maine history. And Susan Collins' campaign up here in Maine right now for the U.S. Senate seat is one of the nastiest ever. We were also promised uh, that it would get big money out of political campaigns. Did not happen, completely false. There'll be about $100 million spent in this Senate race up here, Chris, this year for Susan Collins' seat uh, or the, that, she in, uh, that she sits on right now, and about $24 million in the rural part of Maine in my congressional race. Again, at the time, it was a, uh, a record in the country. So when you have contentious elections, with or without ranked voting, they're going to be a very nasty, and there's going to be a lot of money. And thirdly, we were promised, just like Greg mentioned, that the ultimate winner would get over 50% of the votes cast. That did not happen in my race. Uh, I know you folks are talking about it on a theoretical basis, real time in Maine. Um, there were about 8,000 votes that were cast, uh, that were tossed aside, rather, eliminated from my race. And the ultimate winner uh, did not get over 50% of the vote. So we were sold those three things and they were all wrong.
Yeah, we'll get into some of the specifics there because you do raise some points that I'd like for, for our conversation to hit on with some points from both sides. Uh, one thing I want to make clear right from the top for our listeners, and I'll give you both a chance to respond to this, how similar is what is before Massachusetts voters on November 3rd to the system that is in place in Maine right now, to the system that Congressman Poliquin, you, uh, you were subject to in your election? Is it exactly the same or are there any notable differences that voters should be uh, be aware of as we frame this discussion? Greg, I'll start with you and then we'll, we'll go to you, Congressman. Yeah, what we're proposing uh, for Massachusetts looks pretty much identical to what was proposed to Maine voters in 2016, in which Maine voter voters approved by 52% of the vote. Uh, one difference is that Massachusetts does, isn't going to have uh, the same constitutional issue that would prevent it from being used in state general elections. So we'll be able to use it in state general elections too, which um, the voters of Maine approved uh, to use in 2016 and then again um, in 2018. Congressman, anything you'd like to add there or uh, we can jump into our next topic if you'd prefer. No, I would, thanks. I just wanna make sure we have all the facts so we can get all this information out to your, your listeners, Chris, in Massachusetts. Um, the second district of the, we only have two congressional districts in Maine. The second district in Maine that I represented for four years rejected twice ranked voting at the ballot box. And I repeat that, they rejected it twice. It was a small group of political activists in the Portland area that were able to get it over the top in a statewide vote. However, when it was finally pushed over the top, they were not 52% of the populace or the registered voters that approved it. There were 115, in other words, 15%, 1-5, of registered voters in a special election funded by outside special interests is what decided this in Maine a few years, a couple of years ago. It was not the majority in Maine. Second of all, really interesting point that you raise, uh, Chris, is that in the state of Maine, it is illegal to use rank voting to elect our state legislature and our governor because it violates the main constitution. However, it's silent on federal offices like the United States House of Representatives or the United States Senate or the president. That's why these outside groups use that as, a, uh, as an opening to push it up here for federal offices. It's against the law to use it for state office holders. I want to take a look at uh, the different impacts that ranked choice voting could have in different elections. Congressman, your, your experience with this was in a general election, but some of the examples my colleagues have cited and which supporters of ranked choice voting here in Massachusetts have pointed to have been very crowded primary fields with eight, nine, 10 candidates where the winner emerges with a quarter of the vote or less. Um, uh, Greg, can you speak a little bit about how the impacts could be different in primaries from general elections? And uh, is it even fair to apply the same system to both primaries and general elections when the fields that are on the ballot are, are widely different in, in those two stages? Yeah, it's fair to apply it to any election because the, the point of the system is to find that, that consensus majority choice, the person supported by the broadest majority of voters. So, you know, we talked about the fourth congressional district. That was a nine-way Democratic primary uh, for the seat vacated by Joe Kennedy. And, you know, as we remember, just weeks before Election Day, two of the candidates dropped out to avoid playing the spoiler role. Uh, with ranked choice voting, those candidates could have stayed in the race, giving voters that choice without splitting the vote. Uh, to make matters worse, by the time they had dropped out, thousands of votes had already been cast for them by mail. 
So those votes were wasted before the counting had even begun. Under ranked choice voting, those voters could have had backup choices to keep their vote in play. And you know, when the counting was done, uh, the top vote getter won only 22% of the vote. So 78% of voters voted for someone else. Now, you know, opinions differ on whether he could have been able to win a 50% majority. It's impossible for us to know for sure, but the fact that we don't know, that we don't know whether the people we're electing are supported by a majority of the voters, that is a big problem. Uh, we need to know that. Um, and this has been a perennial problem in Massachusetts elections. You know, we mentioned the third congressional district. We're connecting the dots better with, with these non-majority wins than we have in the past. It also, it also includes general elections, uh, but it's a perennial problem that we're looking to fix. Great, thanks for that. Uh, Congressman, along the same lines, an argument that, that many onlookers and supporters of this have made is that it can be frustrating for voters when someone wins with a small plurality. It can be frustrating for voters that who they might want to choose as their first choice could spoil the outcome. Uh, I'm curious if, uh, if you thought of it in this way to put yourself in Congressman Golden's shoes. If you had won the first round, uh, uh, excuse me, if you had lost the first round by a narrow margin and there had been a third third party candidate uh, where a lot of second choice votes went to you and you swept forward, what do you think your perspective on this would be? Um, you know, could you see any sort of application in which uh, a ranked choice system is better way of interpreting the voters will? Or do you just think that there's, there's no real way to, to do this in a general election when partisan interests are at stake? Chris, if voters are concerned about that issue, then why don't you just have a real runoff? They have that in many other states. In other words, if you have five or six or seven candidates in a race, just pick the top two, three, or four vote-getters, maybe in this case that you're talking about, the top two, and then have a real runoff. Um, what the ranked voting people, uh, proponents rather, push is that this is an instant runoff. Well, that's doesn't make any sense. That's silly. The reason for that is when you go and use ranked voting, you fill out at the same time uh, your choice is one through four, for example, in my case. And in many races, you have no idea who the runoff could be between. So an instant runoff is silly because when you vote, you don't know who the runoff would be between. So if, you, if that is a concern of yours, of the, the spoiler candidate, as you mentioned it, Chris, simply you know, have a real runoff where folks vote one person, one vote, the two top vote getters, you have another runoff. Uh, that, uh, you know, that certainly makes sense. And other folks are doing it in other parts of the country. But I'll tell you this, this is really important to mention, is that <clears throat> at, when the dust had settled, after our election, uh, we did a poll among Republicans who decided not to go to the polls, Republicans who did not vote in 2018. The number one reason was confusion among rank choice voting. It is a tool that is used by activists to harvest second place votes to win close elections. Uh, and it is a very big problem in suppressing the vote among seniors, uh, in particular because it's so darn confusing. That was the number one reason. 26% of the folks uh, who did not vote in 2018 uh, among Republicans, 26% rank, uh, listed ranked choice voting as the number one reason they did not vote. I want to I pause you there, Congressman, because I'd like to get into confusion as an aspect uh, 
Before we do that, I'd just like to give Greg a chance. Can you speak a little bit about ranked choice voting versus a runoff system? At the local level, we have both in place in different communities across Massachusetts. Why is it that the, the solution that, that this group is supporting, the secured signatures to put before voters is ranked choice rather than top two going to a runoff system? Sure. Well, you know, first I want to correct the record. You know, the turnout in Maine was not depressed. Turnout in Maine went up by five percentage points over the prior midterm. So it actually increased turnout. Now, the problem with runoffs, I mean, you have more people, look around the country, more people are participating in the final round of a ranked choice voting election than on average participate in the final round of a runoff. Turnoff and runoffs around the country drop uh, turnout drops on average by more than 35%. So you're not including all those people. And you really want to pay twice the cost? I mean, if we used runoffs in Massachusetts, we need a runoff after the primary and a runoff after the general. We're talking about four elections to choose one winner. Think of all the administrative costs, the administrative hassle, and asking voters to come out again. You know, what if we're in another, another pandemic during that time? Um, so people don't like runoffs. They want instant runoffs. Why are we going to invite them all back to ask their second choice when we could have asked them their second choice the first time they showed up. Runoffs also don't offer any of the benefits of civil campaigns. You know, we're seeing around the country, it's been measured in studies, uh, campaigns are becoming more civil and issue oriented under ranked choice voting. And that's because candidates have an incentive to reach out beyond their base to earn those second and third choices from supporters of their opponents. And the candidates that do that are the candidates that are most likely to win. And when you have a runoff, you're setting up these head-to-head -head grudge matches that go on for more weeks of negative ads, and they're just not conducive to the kind of civil campaigns that we want to see. Let's talk a little bit now about the, the confusion question. Um, I think all of us <clears throat> in the media who have covered this pallet question have noticed that it takes several sentences to explain what the new system would be. Are voters ready to adopt this? Is there a serious risk that some voters could be too confused by how to submit a ballot under the new system to the point where that could deflate turnout or uh, swing the results in one direction or another? I don't think so. You know, I just, I, I think about taking my five-year-old son to go get ice cream, right? And he asked for his favorite flavor. Maybe it's mint chocolate chip. If they don't have that, is he going home without ice cream? No, he's asking for his backup choice. And if they don't have that, he's asking for his backup backup choice. So ranking things is something very natural that we do every day. And by the way, he's going home with one ice cream. You get one vote at the end of the day because this is a one person, one vote system as <coughs> federal judges have confirmed you know, on three separate occasions with respect to rank choice. Um, you know, and we've been doing these uh, lessons and teaching ar around the Commonwealth for four years now, and people get it. You know, we hand them the ballot sometimes without ever explaining what to do with it, and they get it. It shows your first choice, second choice, third choice. You fill in the bubbles. Um, and we're seeing very high percentages of people around the country, uh, super majorities saying they like it, they get it, and they don't want to go back to the old plurality system. Congressman, I have to imagine that your outlook on how confusing the system is differs somewhat. Would you share a little bit more with us? I think you started down this path earlier, but I uh, would like to hear you kind of round out those thoughts. Yeah, sure. And again, this is not theoretical. 
Uh, this has been used in Maine, and so this is real-time, a data real-time experience. Um, I, I speak around the state quite a bit, Chris, and I'll never forget this. This is about a year ago, speaking to a group specifically about ranked voting, and a woman raised her hand during the Q&A session. She stood up, and she was in tears. And she said, Bruce, and she was about my age, mid-60s. She said, Bruce, my mom is mid-80s. She has never missed an election. She's never not voted up here in Maine her entire life. And she just was in tears and gave up and did not uh, vote in uh, 2018 because of the confusion on the ballot. Let me give you an example, Chris, is that I'm sure your listeners might not know this, but if you have, let's say, four candidates in a race and you put in column one, you mark one candidate, then you skip down to column four, you meet another candidate, list another candidate. The fact that you skipped a couple lines up here in Maine anyway is a reason for them to eliminate your ballot. If you vote for make a mistake and vote for the same candidate and uh, in, in, in choices one, two, three or four, your ballot will be eliminated. It's incredibly confusing. And um, to co just make the record straight again, when we and we released this publicly, when I submitted a written testimony to the committee of the Massachusetts legislature, 26 percent of the people who did not vote in 2018 listed ranked choice as the reason because it's so darn confusing. Another thing about cost, I'm glad that was mentioned a minute ago. Um, think of this. <clears throat> one person, one vote, any other state in the country, the uh, the election is over up here in Maine. But because of ranked voting, uh, it went on for another nine days. There were round after round of counting. It cost a lot of money to do it. And all of these ballots had to be taken from these little town halls and couriered to one location in Augusta where the counting took place. And then, by the way, Chris, when we asked the Secretary of State if we could inspect uh, the uh, the algorithm uh, that does the tabulation of these various rounds of votes, we were denied saying it was a, a trade secret of the vendor that sold the black box to the state of Maine to do this counting. So it is not transparent. You can inspect it. It's a black box, and it's very confusing, and it suppresses turnout. That's what we found up here in the state of Maine. Using the, the cost and logistical points as a springboard, turning back to you, Greg, um, how much would this cost in Massachusetts? How easily do you think that election officials could transition to this new system? And uh, you know, what kinds of impacts could we see from that transition? Should we expect to see longer lines at polling places because it'll take longer to fill out ballots or, or something like that? Sure. Well, yeah, I know. Opponents like to uh, throw out very high cost estimates. I remember th there were initial estimates in Maine saying it's going to cost $11 million to implement ranked choice voting. And then soon after that number was scaled down to a million. And then the ultimate cost to add ranked choice voting in, in 2018 ended up being $100,000. So I think you can imagine, so that's like 0.001% of the Maine state budget. I think you could imagine some similar fraction of the Massachusetts state budget to do this. Uh, we're very close to having all voting machines in Massachusetts compatible with ranked choice voting. All those that are not are soon to be uh, decertified by the Secretary of State. So by the time the first ranked choice voting election rolls around in 2022, I think we'll all be on modern equipment. Um, and longer lines at the polling places? No, I don't think so. You know, the, the bottleneck uh, at the polling place for voting is in that sort of single file check-in, check-out line, after which, you know, everybody's voting in parallel in the little cubicles. So um, 
I don't think it's transition costs. And I'd like to add that Secretary of State Galvin, the, the person who runs our state's elections, is a big supporter of the reform and has endorsed question two. He wants to see ranked choice voting happen in this state. Obviously, this is a massive overhaul to how elections in the state would run. I'm curious if either of you see this as carrying a, a built-in change of power dynamics. Um, does transitioning from the current system to a ranked choice system carry with it any disproportionate benefits for one party over another or one electoral outcome over another? Or is this really a politically neutral change in, uh, in platform? process. Chris, Greg, you can is, start. And then Chris, we can go oh, sorry. Go ahead, Congressman. You can start. And then we'll go no, no, no. I beg your pardon. I thought it was an open forum, but go ahead. No, no, no. Greg, you go first. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the co-chairs of our campaign at the advisory board, you find prominent Democrats, prominent Republicans, prominent independents. You know, we have supporters uh, from every party and from no party coming together. Governor, uh, former Governor Patrick, uh, Patrick, former Governor Bill Weld, uh, so Democrat, Republican, former Lieutenant Governor Kerry Murphy-Healy, and so on. Uh, we're not in this to benefit one particular party uh, or ideology um, or type of candidate. We're in this to empower voters. We think voters <coughs> have more voices, more voices and more choice. Uh, we want, we think voters don't, are sick of voting for what they perceive to be as the lesser of two evils. And we think voters want to see candidates elected with a majority of the vote. Congressman, go ahead. The floor is yours. Yeah, well, thank you, Chris, very much. Um, first of all, <clears throat> I want to remind everybody that what we're talking about up here in Maine actually happened. And we're the only state in the country that has used this, so it's not theoretical is that the ultimate winner in the congressional race in 2018 did not receive the majority of the votes. I repeat that. The ultimate winner did not receive the majority of the votes, even though um, Greg keeps mentioning that that is not the case. Uh, and the reason for that is that if you look at ranked voting at municipal elections in California and Illinois and other places, uh, and there's been studies about this, so that information is available if you really want to dig down deep, you find that there's a very high number of votes that are tossed out because the process is so confusing. Up here in Maine, in our congressional races, on average, one to 2,000 votes every race are tossed out because of irregularities. However, in ranked choice voting that was used in 2018, um, about 8,000 or a little bit more than 8,000 votes were tossed out. As a result, the ultimate winner of the seat or was awarded the seat, even though I won on election day, but that's okay. Um, that individual did not, I repeat, receive more than 50% of the vote. The other thing I'd like to mention is Greg mentioned a minute ago about he's experienced, I think, at the local level or community level, uh, these, these campaigns being, uh, being more civil, and as a result, ranked voting uh, lends itself to that outcome. We have not experienced that in Maine. Uh, I know that, that our campaigns up here don't touch the Boston media market, but it's easy to see this. The Collins-Gideon um, race up here in Maine for the U.S. Senate is a ranked choice voting race. There are four candidates. It is a $100 million race in Maine that doesn't touch the Boston media market. It is one of the most expensive and one of the nastiest races ever seen in this country. Ranked voting does not promote a civil race. What it does do is it makes it very confusing. And I'll, I'll, I'll show you another, tell you another thing, Chris, 
when you ask the question about does it change the power and so forth and so on 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 uh, giving certain parties uh, advantages or not. Here's what it does do, and we've seen this real time. It um, creates single issue voters. For example, um, in the race in 2018, and again in this race for the United States Senate with Senator Collins, there are four candidates. There's a Republican, there's a Democrat, both well-funded, and then there are two independents. In my race, the two independents, which were very uh, um, much supportive of a Democrat candidate, they made it public. They made it very clear publicly that they're not going to win the race. They have no funding, no staff. They know they're not going to win the race. They are there specifically to bring in additional voters and then direct second choice votes to, in this case, the Democrat. The same thing is happening in Collins' race up here. So what it does do, Chris, is it creates a situation where it's no longer head-to-head between the two most qualified candidates. It invites special interest, single-issue candidates that are there specifically to harvest second-place votes for the majority candidate. Go ahead, Greg. I know you want to say something. Yeah, I've got two short questions you know, to round us up. So, um, first of all, with respect to this question of majority, in the in the final round of a ranked choice voting race, you're looking at every voter who had a preference between the top two candidates. And yeah, it's a it's a majority of those that did not abstain from that decision. If somebody doesn't have a preference, we're not going to force them to have a preference between candidates. They don't have a preference between. So it's somewhat of a semantic argument around majority. But any way you cut it the person in the final round has more votes and more support than they would in the first round. And what the 2018 race showed in Maine is that, you know, with all due respect to Congressman Paulquin, is that more voters said they prefer Jared Golden to Bruce Paulquin than the other way around. And so that's the fair result. That's the legitimate result. It doesn't matter if you happen to be in the lead. Like, you don't get to call, you know, if you happen to be in the lead after the first inning of a baseball game, you don't get to say the game's over. You got to wait for the game to be over and you have to wait for the count to be done. Um, I do want to go back and correct a couple things. There was this question about black box and transparency of the ballot data. All the ballot data in Maine is made public online for anybody to verify the count for themselves, as several researchers have already done and people around the world have done. And as far as the independent candidates in the race, well, you know, that's what voters want to see. you know, super majorities, I think it's two thirds of voters want to see more third parties, want to see independent candidates. They want more voices and the more choices, not going to apologize for the fact that, you know, ranked choice voting encourages more people to run and then more people turn out to vote for those candidates. That's healthy. That's a more of a free market, free marketplace of ideas. Um, that's promoting the kind of politics that we want to see and we want to see more of in Massachusetts and around the country. You know, for folks that really dig deeply like you are, Chris, in your great show here to give your listeners uh, a real education on whether or not they want to adopt this confusing system, uh, is it something I'd like to put before uh, them and and before uh, uh, Greg and and before you, Chris, is that in you look – and by the way, um, I I appreciate your kind words, Greg, but, you know, I go to bed at night knowing one person got one vote up here – I won the election uh, before second place votes were harvested to someone else who was awarded the seat. And I'm I'm a business professional. This is not my career in politics. So all is good. But thank you for your kind words. But there really is a difference 
between this confusing system of ranked voting and one person, one vote, you get the most votes on election day, you win. Pretty simple. Uh, and, and let me give you an example. In my race, these two uh, um, um, very far left um, individuals that got on the ballot as independents, um, the individual who got 5,000 votes, and there were about 350,000 roughly that were cast, the individual who got 5,000 votes uh, and the individual who came in third place that got 10,000 votes, they were, of course, eliminated. Now, here's a really interesting point. The voters that ranked those two candidates who least represented our district, those voters that ranked them first got a second bite of the apple, and their second place votes ultimately determined who the seat was awarded to. So in this case, the voters who voted for the candidates who least represented the district ultimately selected the person who represents the district today. So it is very unfair, it's very confusing, and it pushes harvested second place votes from folks who voted for candidates who do not reflect the values of our second district. And that's going to happen likely in other places around the country if this is adopted. We're running short on time, so I want to hit two final things here. Greg, can you tell us if you have any sense right now if this could face a legal challenge here in Massachusetts like we saw play out in Maine? Is there any sort of precedent in Maine that could stave that off here? Um, are, are you folks on the campaign basically preparing for this to go to court, or do you think that it won't end up in court? Um, well, any precedent in Maine could not affect uh, any the constitutional challenge in Massachusetts. We know that you know it's been before the federal courts three times, and all three times federal judges said it's completely consistent with the U.S. Constitution. Uh, and unlike Maine, we don't have the word plurality in our Constitution. Uh, and, and unlike Maine, um, we also have precedent where the Supreme Judicial Court, back in 1941. Uh, said that ranked choice voting is compatible with the state constitution. So we've been hard at work at this, uh, working with legal scholars. You know, prior to prior to creating the ballot question, we would not have created it if we thought there was going to be a legal challenge that would succeed. Now, anybody can bring a case. Anybody can you know throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. But we're we're confident that we would prevail if any case were brought. And finally, just help our listeners get a sense of how unique we are. Here in Massachusetts, we would be the second state to embrace ranked choice voting at the statewide level if this was adopted. What's after that? Is ranked choice voting uh, approaching the ballot in any other states or any other states earlier in the pipeline than we are at the process that you're aware of, but still moving in the same direction? Chris, was that a question for me? I'm, this is Bruce, or was that for Greg? For, for either. Happy to, happy to harbor answers from both. Just curious about the uh, national landscape. I've, I've talked to people in Alaska, uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, of course, Vermont, uh, and a few other states, or about a dozen states that are considering using it uh, at the statewide level or at the federal level. Maine uh, was the first to use it at the federal level, and it's been a disaster. Um, but there are other states that are using this very confusing system, or thinking about, I should say, using this very confusing system. Yeah, there, there are grassroots organizations in just about every state at this point um, working to bring ranked choice voting to those states. Some of those states have the ballot initiative process, others do not, and they're working through legislative avenues. And because people around the country are just sick of politics as usual, they're sick of the division, they're sick of the polarization, they want more voices, more choices, and they want candidates to win with the majority of the vote. So that's why we're seeing these efforts all around the country. I mean, 20 years ago, 
we had one city in the United States using ranked choice voting. Now we have two dozen cities. The state of Maine was used in four Democratic presidential primaries. Uh, it's, on the, it's on two state ballots, including Massachusetts. It's on five other city ballots. It has all these grassroots organizations around the country because this is what people want. The current system is not working. Did you say it's on two state we, ballots this November, which is the, the second state? Alaska and, and Massachusetts. Got it. Great. All right, Chris, guys, I would I disagree. Go ahead, go ahead, Congressman. Yep. I would disagree in that what it will determine uh, if a race is contentious and a lot of money is spent will be how competitive the race is. And does that race have an impact on the balance of power in Washington? That has nothing to do with ranked choice voting. It has everything to do with the complexion uh, and the ultimate uh, uh, potential impact of that race. Um, second of all, something to think about is that here up in the state of Maine, uh, in three weeks, we have a presidential election like every other place in the country. And ranked voting uh, will be used up here for the presidential election for the first time in the country. We have five candidates. We have Mr. Trump, we have Mr. Biden, and three other candidates that nobody really knows. They are on that ballot specifically to harvest second place votes for the Democrat candidate. It's just a fact, just something to consider. Well, the Green Party has been running candidates for a long time. They're not on the ballot because of ranked choice voting. They were going to be on the ballot regardless. Same with the Libertarian Party. And same with those independent candidates. And people want more voices and more choices. And I also then I, having challenge the are we done? But I I wanted to challenge the idea that ranked choice voting actually changed the result in 2018 because we know, for example, that the stronger of the two independent candidates, Tiffany Bond, said she wouldn't have run had it not been for ranked choice. She wouldn't have entered the race. And so those voters would, would have just shown up and voted for their second choice anyway. And even if she had run under a plurality system today, her voters would have been conflicted about whether they could vote for her and risk throwing their vote away. And so they probably lost um, their second choice anyway. Greg, Greg, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, Tiffany Bond, who was one of the two um, independent, but really very far left candidates in, 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 in my congressional race, uh, in 2018, she tried to get on the ballot again this year as a perennial candidate to run again as a liberal independent in Susan Collins' race to again harvest votes and push second place votes uh, to the Democrat candidate. So again, this gives rise to single issue voters who know they can't win, but just get on there for strategic reasons, uh, which is really a shame. It should be two candidates the best candidates going head-to-head. -head. If you want to runoff, have a traditional runoff, this instant runoff is silly. It doesn't happen. It's a misnomer. The situation, the, the process is very confusing. Maine is a very straightforward state with lots of honest people. One person, one vote, you get the most votes on election day, you win. We've used it for 200 years, worked great. It was not idea to, our idea to change it. It was out-of-state special interests with lots of money behind them who convinced a very small number of registered voters up here in a special election to change how we vote. Guys, I think we're all set to wrap now. We've gone over our uh, a lot of time. Obviously, it's a, a fruitful discussion and one that we'd love to keep happening, but uh, I'm going to spare our producers having even more to, to wade through here. Uh, Greg, Congressman, I want to thank both of you for taking the time and uh, showing some patience, giving our listeners a really good in-depth look at both sides of the argument here as they head to the ballot box on November 3rd to consider ranked choice voting. Uh, guys, thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Appreciate it very much. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Good luck.
All right. Thanks very much for joining us, folks. Uh, Chris Lasinski moderated that discussion. And from the Yes on Two campaign, we heard from policy director Greg Dennis. And in opposition, we heard from former Maine congressman Bruce Poliquin. Uh, it was fitting, perhaps, to hear uh, so much about the way that elections and candidates and campaigns have been shaking out up in Maine, uh, because uh, for any Statehouse takeout listeners who weren't aware, the District of Maine was once a part of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and this year, 2020, marks the 200th anniversary of Maine leaving uh, our uh, beautiful Commonwealth here. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, folks, and we'll see you right back here next week on the Statehouse Takeout. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.